I was so anxious that I couldn't even uh, speak to girls that I didn't know for maybe three or four months um, because I just feared. I feared that women meant anxiety and women were cruel. And the way, why, why this happens is because let's break it down physiologically first and what happens with anxiety and breathing. And we'll talk about how that can actually impact our, our psychology as well. everyone welcome back to my channel if you are listening on the podcast welcome back to the podcast this episode is all about how nasal breathing can help with your anxiety we're going to delve into some of the uh, uh, what anxiety is how that causes impacts on our breathing and what we can do about that by switching to nasal breathing and why that can help but before we go into that i thought i'd just give you a story of mine and how we could maybe relate to anxiety and some of the impacts that slow breathing has had on me personally. So I've had two, what I would say, severe anxiety bouts throughout my life. Been pretty fortunate enough to be able to overcome them and not suffer for very long times. But the first one was after coming off antidepressants when I was at university. Not going to go too much delving into that, but I was basically uh, diagnosed with uh, depression when I was uh, when I was in my second year at university. And I would just come off the back of having a shoulder injury and all my life I've been a sports individual. However, I was unable to do sports and that led me to just drinking all the time, uh, being inactive, being very unfit, uh, just spending lots of time in bed and generally being unhappy with my life. And my mom uh, told me, uh, she reached out to me once and said, hey, look, you just don't seem yourself at the moment. I think you're depressed. I ended up going to the doctors. But now I look back at it uh, I probably wasn't depressed. I was making bad health, poor, poor life choices. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't having structure to my life. So uh, that's not to say that people can't be depressed and feel like that. That's just my, in my case. I just think people, uh, if they were going through a rough patch in their life and they tend to don't have any structure in their in their life at all, then that can lead to uh, times of feeling down. Whereas just getting back into exercise, treating yourself well, eating well, uh, getting out, even just doing some walking, getting out in the sun and ensuring that you are consistent with your bedtime is going to help improve your mood anyway, regardless. But coming off the uh, the citalopram, the, the, the medications that I took for the depression left me with anxiety. And it got to the point where I could even just, when leaving the house, uh, I would feel like when I'm walking down to uh, the shops, if a car came past too fast, my heart would race, my breathing rate would just pick up and I would just be full of fear. And that was causing all kinds of issues in my relationships um, due to ruminations and thoughts, thinking people were going to leave me and that I was, uh, you know, it was, just, it, was, it was bringing up a lot of kind of uh, insecurities that were, were were always there on a surface level, but just heighten those insecurities even further, which uh, I think most people probably relate anxiety kind of causes that, just raises our fear response, which I'm going to talk to you about why that does that in a moment. The second time I got anxiety uh, was when I left England and I moved to Australia in 2016. So I was in my mid to late 20s at the time. And I just found out that the, the girl that I'd been seeing, she was a, she was a sex worker, but, and I didn't know it was behind my back, but all the people around me knew. So I felt like completely naive. I felt like the people around me who were, were friends were, were lying to me. I couldn't trust. Uh, my car blew up in the same week. The engine actually blew up. So I lost uh, pretty much all my money on the car and had to buy a new car. It's left me with no money in the bank because I didn't leave 
uh, England with a, with a lot of money. And then I came out in a rash, which was a head to toe, just f- um, full in, full of psoriasis, which I'd never seen, known before. And I was really concerned about what it was. And I had this uh, you know, autoimmune issue that was causing it. And I was just in a state. Anyway, already feeling lack of confidence. A few weeks later, I met a girl. I'm going into deep into a relationship with this girl. Unfortunately, she was now like the, the ideal perfect one. But it turns out that she was a narcissistic individual and she was quite emotionally abusive, which just made me go rocket downhill. Lost any kind of touch of my uh, personality, my identification of who I was. And I really just went downhill and just became anxious. I was so anxious that I couldn't even uh, speak to girls that I didn't know for maybe three or four months um, because I just feared. I feared that women meant anxiety and women were cruel. And the way, why this happens is because let's break it down physiologically first. And what happens with anxiety and breathing. And we'll talk about how that can actually impact uh, our psychology as well. So anxiety is a high level of stress. It's probably one of the highest levels of stress that we can have in our body. And it's consistent. Uh, You know, we get ruminated on thoughts. Those thoughts are sending signals to our body that there's a stress going on, even if it's just up in our head and it's not actually occurring in front of us. Then our breathing rate can increase. Okay, our heart rate can increase and then the sensations of our body, we get used to those sensations in terms of those sensations get related to fear or the feeling of fear, which is the continual feeling of, uh, which anxiety is, the continual feeling of fear or fear of fear is going to happen in the future. And so what happened to me is that whenever I went to... Uh, approach a uh, you know, a girl or, or someone that I didn't know is that I just got this sensation in my body that was telling me warning, warning, warning. So the stress through the sympathetic nervous system, uh, which create, generates a stress response, increases breathing rate, increases your breath rate. And that basically sends a signal back to your brain to say that your body is in a high alert state and that you should either you know, be in fight, get ready to fight, or you should flight. Now, if it consistently does that in the same, over the same story, then your brain rewires in a way so that it starts producing those thoughts or similar thoughts, even though you're not in that situation, truthfully, but the physiological signs in your body are the same. So therefore, the sensations you get generate the thoughts in your mind. So when I was getting scared or getting, uh, you know, getting, getting these sensations in my body, I would presume in my perception that the person in front of me is going to be horrible, evil, and I should avoid them. It creates avoidance behaviors. But that's not necessarily the truth. It's just a story that's created in your mind from the feelings associated with the anxiety or the trauma or whatever's happened to you in the past that is causing those sensations. So it's our relationship to our body. Now, this is a concept called interoception. Interoception is our nervous system, primarily the vagus nerve, which is sending, uh, which is receiving signals, mapping out from our, our body to to detect the the condition or the state that our body's in. Is it high arousal? Is it low arousal? Is it hydrated? Dehydrated? Is it um, is it uh, full? Are we not full? Do we need to breathe faster? Do we need to breathe less? That will send signals to the brain, which then the brain maps out and sends signals back into the body in a, a bi-directional relationship to really maintain a state of homeostasis. However, with anxiety, the body's 
natural level of homeostasis is a raised level of stress, both physiologically and psychologically. So then what tends to happen is that our threat detection system in our mind is on overlook. So the world itself seems more threatening. So we start to seek out more threatening things with unconsciously not knowing. And that just sends signals back into our body again that we need to increase our heart rate. We're in fight or flight mode and we need to shoot off and, and, stop and go away. So we start to, we start to not like the sensations. We get fearful of the sensations. We get what's called interoceptive conditioning. And this conditioning means that the actual feeling itself is conditioned so much that it, it starts to create a, avoidance behaviors. So we don't do the things that we want to do. We might just sit at home and avoid any kind of sensation in our body. We might, like my, myself, as I started to avoid women in general, which when you think about it, it it's quite, it's, 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 it's stupid when you look back on it from the sense that I'm from, is that you know, not all women are evil, not all women are like that. It's just uh, you need to know yourself how to uh, re-navigate the system. So for me, coming out of that, you know, you imagine a narcissistic emotional abusive relationship, which I'd never known before, is I had to do some deep work. I wasn't going to go back onto the medication because I didn't want to get the, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to go back into medication. I didn't want to get the side effects that the SSRI was caused back when I had them last time. But this time, uh, I decided to do deep work, self-development, some, uh, uh, looking into spirituality, reading books about being present. But one of the things that I started to do, and this is a bit of a serendipitous thing, um, and we're going to get onto the nasal breathing in a moment and how that can help your anxiety, but but this is just going to introduce us to, to, to how breathing itself really helped me with my anxiety. And it was a bit of a aha moment. One of my friends at the time, I was going through a, a hip injury as well. I wasn't able to squat, which again was something that I love to do. So you know, all, all during this period, I was in a real low point in my life. And one of my friends said to me, you need to start working on your mobility. So he gave me an app called Romwad, which is range of motion workout daily. And during this, it's basically like a form of yoga or slow yin yoga mixed with a bit of uh, kung fu movements. And it's just all long poses. But during these poses, they try to get you as relaxed as possible. And they do this by the uh, by nasal breathing and by slowing the breath down. Now, for some people, they're not going to be able to do this. It's very challenging. and It took me a long time to learn it. But you, you, you might breathe in, so say, eight seconds and out for 10 seconds whilst you're in, a, in a, now a yoga pose, which is very challenging to do. But what I notice when you exhale is that the muscles relax more. And what I started to notice as I developed a practice is that on the exhale, I started to notice that my, uh, my, uh, my body was more relaxed, but my mind was more relaxed. And I began to realize how much thoughts were actually going on in my mind. So not just the thoughts that I was ruminating on, that's just the focus that was just shifted, your perception shifted onto those, onto those thoughts, let's say, thoughts about you're never going to have a, no, a relationship, you're never going to be able to find someone, women are evil, but all the other thoughts that were going on in the back of my mind that I wasn't aware of because I didn't have the self-awareness because I always had such anxiety were going on as well that were you know, causing a low level of anxiety. So the slow breathing managed to slow my mind down. So what's happening here? So if we're conscious, consciously slowing our breath, then what we're doing is we're, we're sending signals from our vagus nerve back up to our brain to say that we're in a space of safety. And we're in a space of safety. We have more clarity. 
We're not overthinking of things. And we start to, when you close your mind, and this is what meditation does, you start to become an observer of your thoughts. It's almost like you see it like it's a cinema. And you can detach yourself from this thought so there's not as much meaning to them. So you don't start, you start to, you know, the emotional content of those thoughts starts to, to weaken. So what that allows you to do is it allows you to create space between your emotions and your reactions and your response. So your physiology starts to alter. So you can start to reprogram your physiology by just slowing your breath down, becoming aware of those sensations and just sticking with them. And that allows you to dim that down over time. But where does nasal breathing come into this? So nasal breathing typically should be used at rest, during the day, and uh, even at night time. But before we go into the reasons to why we should nasal breathe, let's just talk a little bit about anxiety and breathing pattern disorders. So people who are stressed have already said they have a faster, heart, a faster rate of breathing. Why? Because usually they're mouth breathing. Now, when you're mouth breathing, obviously the mouth's a lot more open than the, 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 the nose. So people tend to breathe more into the upper chest. It's a higher lung volume, so there's less gas exchange, so it's less efficient. The ventilation's increased, but also if you just take a breath in and then just try and do shallow breaths, it's hard. The rib cage up here is it's more compliant, means it's less flexible. It's more rigid than it is down here. So if you breathe up here, then it's more challenging to breathe. Less like if you were to put more resistance on a machine at the gym and to work out, then that would mean that it would be more challenging for you. You would use more energy and it's more stressful and you'd feel more fatigued. So that's what happens when you've got anxiety as well. And that is also sending signals back to the brain that you're in a high alert state because you're utilizing more energy and therefore you're creating more CO2 in the body. CO2 is our primary driver to breathe, carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide does two things in the body. It's a metabolic, well, there's many, but two that we're going to discuss today. Two things in the body that it does is that when it's released by energy breakdown of glucose, you get oxygen uh, you get, uh, oxygen delivery, you get water, and you get uh, CO2. CO2 goes back to our chemosensors in our, in our carotid arteries, which tells us we need to breathe, tells our body we need to breathe more to stabilize um, uh, our blood pH in our body to keep us alive, essentially, and keep us in homeostasis. However, when we've got mouth breathing, we offload more CO2 than we necessarily need. So our chemosensors become more sensitive to it. So we reduce our tolerance to CO2. Now, the other thing that CO2 does is when it starts to rise in the brain, it starts to create panic. It starts to create fear response. It activates our amygdala, the part of the brain that's our emotional part of the brain, the limbic system, which is you know, it generates our fight or flight. So if you just hold your breath and keep holding it, CO2 is going to rise. If you just close your eyes and hold your breath and then start to pay attention to how you feel, you will panic. It's the innate suffocation alarm. So what happens is people with, with anxiety is they are easily more triggerly the innate suffocation alarm, which then results in things like panic attacks, which when it's conditioned to the body and the sensation in the body creates panic disorders. So, Nasal breathing. Why nasal breathe? Well, we need to do the opposite of that. So if we nasal breathe, we're going to slow down the rate. There's more resistance as the airflow goes in and the air goes out. So we're going to naturally breathe slower. So if we slow the breathing rate, 
then the body tends to be more relaxed. Now, if you're more relaxed, you're breathing less, it's going to start to send the signals back up in the, the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is going to take that and it's going to create more safety in our mind. It's a process called neuroception. Stephen Paul just talks about this in the, in the uh, polyvagal theory. Neuroception is just basically how our um, physiology creates, in our neurology, creates our perception. So when we, our body feels safe, our mind feels safe, so we start to see things more for the truth rather than the objective, uh, the subjective beliefs that we have. So that starts to allow us to then begin to take the actions we want and move towards the goals we want. We can feel a bit more safe. I started to feel a bit more safe around people again. And this was just the beginning when I just started to do slow breathing. And nasal breathing is the very beginning of your journey into from, from breathing, uh, changing your breathing to improving your anxiety. So in my eight-week uh, training course that I take people through that I guarantee will reduce things like stress and anxiety by 50%, which boosts people's focus, energy, and productivity, I usually say for higher performance, but also just for general health and uh, the, you know, a good solid body and mind. The first step is just to switch to nasal breathing. And because it slows the breathing down, it also does other things. We, in our nose, we have uh, turbinates, but we also have things called cilia, which is like hair. And essentially what that does is it filters the air comes through, so it cleans the air, it humidifies the air, and it either warms the air or it cools the air depending on the, the environment that we're in. So this makes it much more safer for our airways. It reduces things like uh, bronchospasms and asthma attacks, but it also can reduce the risk of panic attacks because there's easier airflow through the airways. Our sinus cavity also produces something called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide helps match the ventilated alveoli, the parts that create uh, of our lung that exchange gas with the blood. It ma helps match that so we get greater gas exchange from our lungs as well. It's also a potent vasodilator and potentially could make us feel more relaxed and help with our parasympathetic nervous system. When we breathe through the nose because of greater resistance, we also activate the diaphragm a bit more. We don't necessarily strengthen it unless you've been mouth breathing for a long time, but we do activate the diaphragm more. It's basically like if you again, if you were to put an analogy of being a, a runner or doing some training, it's having good form. It's breathing with good form and good posture. When you have good posture and good form of breathing, again, that's creating safety. It's activating our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the anti-stress system, the rest and digest side of things. So it brings down our level of stress, again, creating more safety. So when we do that at rest, we can just generally start to create a safe environment. But when we do that during exercise, or we can utilize breath holds at rest, particularly breath holds, we can actually start to build our CO2 torrents. So when we exercise, the breakdown of energy that we have from increasing exercise, or when we put ourselves into stressful situations, say if you have a, an ice bath or stuff like that, if you're to take control of your breath through the nose and nasal breathing, then because the breath rate's lower and ventilation's lower, then you're going to start to get CO2 rise. Now you will adapt to that, so you will build tolerance to CO2. Now if you build your tolerance to CO2, you're becoming more resilient. You're building your tolerance to metabolic stress signals. So over gen generally, during exercise, your ventilation rate will come down. Your How much you need to breathe will come down. But also uh, the, the sensitivity of the CO2 in the brain. 
So as soon as CO2 rises in the brain, that's when we get that innate panic alarm. That's when we get the activation of the amygdala. That's what causes fear. That's essentially what is causing anxiety in the brain. If we can tolerate more CO2, then we're less likely to get anxious tendencies as well. So we can improve our biomechanics. We can improve our biochemistry. And we can also slow our breathing down to ensure that we've got safety environment. But how do we know that our breathing is actually causing us issues with our anxiety? So if you've got poor breathing pattern, if you have anxiety and you have a low bolt score, which I'm going to put the video to the bolt score up here, or it'll be up, up this side because it's the first time I've done this, of how to take your bolt score, which is the body oxygen level test. If that's less than 25%, 25 seconds, sorry, then you have 89 to 90% chance of having a breathing pattern that's contributing to your anxiety. And it's going to require uh, some, some coaching for you to retrain that and repattern that. And that's where I'd say reaching out to someone like myself or a, or a breath coach, I will pop my social media details down there um, and you can reach out to me if you want to. So just to uh, summarize, I guess, there's a bi-directional relationship between stress and our breathing and how we breathe, sending signals back up to the brain to say that we're, we're stressed. If you, have, if you have poor breathing patterns, that's going to lead to intolerances to carbon dioxide, which is a main stressor signal, which also generates fear in our brain. How we perceive the world is also linked to how we're breathing and the state that our physiology, physiology is in. But we can shift that. And we can change that by the first step usually in an eight-week program, and the first week from is usually just mentioned to start breathing through the nose. Breathing through the nose, breathing through the, uh, uh, breathing through the nose at rest, during exercise, and at nighttime. And in the next video, I'll probably delve into why we should breathe through the nose in sleep, uh, just to, to, to break this down a little bit. But if you want to take the next steps to have a look at why you should breathe during the sleep, because sleep, poor sleep is associated with uh, increased risk of anxiety and also anxiety, obviously increased risk of things like insomnia as well. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this video. I know there's a lot of information to take away there. So if you do have any questions, do pop them below. I'm, I'm going to be around. I'll, I'm always happy to answer the questions or again, jump onto my social media and thank you to, to Blake on, I don't know, who, who reached out to me on my Instagram, who, who's a, a great guy who I've been working with and known for, for a long time. I used to play ice hockey with him years back. And he, uh, he just, yeah, put this question out there and it's really given me some good ideas of how to create content. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're watching on YouTube, appreciate you. If you're listening on a podcast, thanks for tuning in. Just want to say thank you for watching the video all the way through. If you enjoyed the content, please subscribe. I'm going to be putting more all about stress, anxiety, uh, breathing, sleep, and just really in ensuring that people can live to their best, feel the best, and perform at their best. So... Oh, my company is Performance Through Health. You can check out the website, www.performancethroughhealth.com. And I look forward to hearing from you.